This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And on today's show, we're doing something new. Over the coming weeks, portrait photographer and Sony artisan of imagery, Chris Orwig, will be an occasional guest host as he interviews some of his friends and fellow photographers about how they are moving forward in these unprecedented times. Today on the podcast, Chris connects with another artisan of imagery, photographer Caroline Jensen. Hello and welcome to the Chris Orwig podcast, the show where we aim to have meaningful and inspiring conversations about topics like the art of living, about creating our best work, becoming our best selves, and making a difference in the world. And as I mentioned before, with everything that's going on in the world, I thought it would be interesting to reach out to some of my friends, mentors, and colleagues and talk with them about everything that's going on and about how they're processing all of that, how they're trying to stay afloat and stay optimistic and even move ahead. And in this week's episode, we're talking with a photographer and friend. Her name is Carolyn Jensen. And I have her bio here, and I want to read it because I think it's so fascinating. Carolyn Jensen is a photographic artist living on the prairie of southern Minnesota. Already, I love that first line. And she's there with her husband, four children, and many pets. She's a natural light photographer specializing in emotive black and white portraiture, macro, and color landscape photography. She does also use lights. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Carolyn seeks to find emotion in every photo and finds her niche in painterly images with dramatic light. She enjoys, enjoys focusing on one subject, whether that be a person or a flower. Her style, while ornate in processing, strives for a simplicity that guides the viewer's eye to the heart of the image. And I think that is a perfect description of her work. And she's one of those photographers that just draws you into her work. It slows you down. It makes you think. It makes you kind of value these small moments. And so I'm really excited to talk with Carolyn today. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Carolyn, so great to have a chance to chat. Thank you so much, Chris. It's awesome to be here. Truly. This is really, really neat. Yeah. It's so fun that we get to connect, even though we're so far away from each other, and we get some time to have an intentional and focused conversation. Yes. And that never really happens in life. <laughs> you know, we're so busy all the time, but we've been forced to slow down a little bit in the late you know, last few weeks. And it's, this is a great opportunity. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start off with just kind of checking in. How are you doing? How's the family doing? How is all of this affecting you? And then maybe to add to that question, how are you staying creative and staying optimistic and staying afloat and all those things? Oh, well, it's kind of funny because I'm such an introvert, actually, uh, that it hasn't been too much of a problem. I've just put my nose to the grindstone and started to do all kinds of projects here at home. Uh, I'm like a homebody. I love to garden. I love to do general maintenance around the house. So there's plenty of opportunity to do that. And then I've just been digging into creating hours and hours and hours of content. <laughs> so I'm... I'm very, very busy uh, producing things for down the line. So I've really had, actually, this has given me the opportunity to speed up what I'm doing because I have less distractions outside of the house. 
That's wonderful. <laughs> so, so sorry to jump in, but when you say content, what, what does that mean or what does that, uh, mm. that look like? So tell us about that. Well, for years, people have been asking me to dig deeper into my photo editing process. And I've taught Lightroom for years, but that's more of a basic raw you know, process. And people have asked for the more painterly type edits. And some of them, I'm not going to lie, some of them take me three, four hours to do. So with this added time and, you know, being homebound, I've been able to, you know, record a lot of deeper editing going into a lot more uh, in depth with the with the edits. So I, I hope to produce that into something meaningful for people. That's <laughs> great. Not too, yeah, yeah. That's great. So it sounds like for you, it's been an opportunity kind of the, maybe one of the silver lining is, is that you have now this time to focus and it, it is your work does, like you say, it takes time. It seems like you approach things thoughtfully, intentionally, intentionally, mindfully, even the word painterly implies that, um, you know, my grandfather was a painter that, oh, yeah, so neat. and my mom as well and my aunt, but so oh, wow. I, I have admiration for painters and Sometimes more, well, not sometimes, I'll say it more so than photographers. I don't know why, but I think, and here's why, because they commit to a frame yes. and they take time with it. And so they're always, for me, teaching me like, okay, Chris, in the back of my mind, okay, Chris, slow down, commit to the frame and take time because I'm kind of frenetic, moving around, new angles, trying all this stuff. So anyway, <laughs> so that's neat. That'll be fun to see those tutorials and see how your process is. Describe to me a little bit of your process of photographing. Let's go to portraiture for a moment. How do you create, capture, think about, and process, you know, all that stuff, a uh, portrait? Wow. Well, when it comes to portraits, it's usually very intentional. There's a reason for the portrait. I'm either uh, wanting to capture, I try to get my kids into my studio at least once a month. And that can be a little contrived at times and trying to get something natural. I usually have to throw an animal in there or something else to kind of bring the tenor down to a more realistic level because they're, you know, they give me the cheesy photographer child grin. Uh, and other than that, I, I, I just, I, I work with really simple lighting. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been natural light for 10, 11, 12 years, but recently in the last couple of years, I started to use uh, LED flex mats. Uh, they're from Westcott and they, I, I fake a window. I literally tack it to the wall and put a curtain over it. So it looks like a window so I can make one wherever I want. Uh, but then as far as connecting to the subject, it's just trying to get them out of the I'm standing in front of a camera <laughs> mentality. How do you do that? Yeah, tell, tell us how you uh, do that. Conversation. Just Actually, I learned a lot of it from you. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> no, no, it's for real. Uh, it, it's for real. I think that me, I'm terribly uncomfortable in front of the camera when I'm having my photo taken, at least historically. And so I understand how uncomfortable that can all be. And I just try to engage in conversation and, and silent shooting is actually brilliant for that uh, because people don't know when you're shooting unless it's my daughter who pre frequently models for me she travels with me to conferences occasionally and uh, she wants the, the shutter to click so she knows what I'm doing she doesn't want those spontaneous kind of sneaky shots uh, but normally other people are a lot more relaxed when they're not hearing the click 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 yeah, and then just to dig into that a little bit, um, and we'll talk gear just a touch, and we'll also, we'll talk about <laughs> other things. But is that with the which camera do you use? What's your 
tool of choice? I, <laughs> I have 12. Um, I counted <laughs> you have them. 12 cameras. I, yeah, I've been organizing oh them. I've been organizing them. Well, I the thing is, is it's whatever camera I have. And, and I go okay. anywhere from the RX10 series, which I often have on me almost 100% of the time, to the A7R4 which obviously is just incredibly gorgeous. Uh, and that one with the either the 8514 or the 135, depending on the situation, is my like stellar dream one. But you know, I, I do portraits wherever I am. And a lot of times I just have the point and shoot. <laughs> so it is whatever it is. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And and I use the A7R4 is really my primary one. And what I was only mentioning that just to say that with a lot of these cameras, you can turn them on to silent mode. So there is no yeah. sound with the shutter, just in case people aren't familiar with that. And what that means is when you're you're looking through the viewfinder, you're pushing the button and no one's hearing anything that's happening. And so models do have a tough time with this because they're trained, knowing it or not, every click to do a different movement. Now, for portrait photographers, I don't like a lot of movement. I like stillness. And so when you go silent, sometimes you can do that or you can get the unguarded moment or different things. So it is a really interesting way to shoot. Um, and and it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's, it, it, it changes everything. And it, what I find, maybe I'm hesitating here because I'm trying to think about it, is a lot of times people have a hard time the first two minutes of the shoot but then yeah. they settle in it, they settle into it. Do you find that as well when you turn off the shutter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if they're involved in an activity. I, I know that you have a very quiet style and I love it. You're so amazing. Uh, I, I actually prefer more of a documentary type uh, approach when it comes to portraits. And, and I, I'm always trying to get them involved in something and then say they're baking cookies, but then they look up at you with some excitement about what they've done. And that would be the, the stellar moment I'm looking for, that, that uh, fun that they're having genuinely in the moment. And I usually use some kind of a prop to facilitate that genuine. I'm, I'm such an introverted person. It's hard for me to pull people out of their shell on my own. Unless we're having an authentic conversation, a real conversation, sitting on the sofa, drinking tea, and I can say, how are you? You know, and talk to them. But then when I put the camera in the mix, it puts this barrier. So I sometimes find an activity, even if they're just knitting or, you know, doing something that they love, it, it gets them a little bit more distracted <laughs> and helps to bring out more genuine uh, interaction. Yeah, I love that. And, and um, thank you for the compliment too. I think your work is amazing as well. So I'll pay you $5 afterwards. <laughs> no, <laughs> I um, used to use a frequent example of somebody who puts a model at ease. I don't know if I, did I ever tell you this, Chris? I don't know if I told you. We were in New York. And you were going to shoot a model. You had, um, we could, you know, have a model come out with us outside. And you had a model come out and she kind of started to strike a pose. And you said, no, no, wait, what's your name? Where do you go to school? And all of a sudden you saw her, I just saw her melt. Like she just, wait, wait, I'm a person. And she started to have a conversation and then you started to shoot. And it was such a beautiful transition between her getting ready to just strike a pose and do her job to all of a sudden being this person that you were interested in. It was really beautiful to see. And I, it really stuck with me. And I think I've told that story to lots of people about, uh, especially with models. My, my daughter works with a lot of models when we're at conferences and I, I get to hang around the models a lot. And I've re reiterated that story. They always say, oh, I love the photographers that make me feel like a person and not an object.
So anyway, that, that was. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. I appreciate that. And you know, I picked that up from a mentor where I was really had a hard time photographing models. I was nervous and I don't know why, just for some reason, I mean, this is, this maybe sounds so bad, but I was like, I wanted to photograph real people, which meant a model wasn't a real person. Right. But I think it was just (laughs) that maybe I was intimidated by how beautiful or handsome or something they were. And I, I wanted real characters. I wanted real life. I wanted realness, everything real. And, and my mentor, he's since passed away. Rodney Smith said, Chris, you can turn a model into a person. You ask them a question. And that's, you know, so that is exactly where that came from. And what I've come to find is that you learn so much about people um, through, through questions. And it's a lot of times people say, well, well, you know, what kind of questions? And it's kind of like that story you mentioned. It doesn't have to be tell me your deepest, darkest secrets or something <laughs> or like, you know, it just you, you go with these little these little uh, things like maybe one quick story is there was a, a model at another Sony event we were at who's very tall and striking and and I was photographing her and I realized how tall she was when I started to try to take her portrait because <laughs> I had to get on my tippy toes. Yeah. And I said, wow, you know, you're tall, you know, have you, have you and I had mentioned I have three daughters and we were talking about that. And I said, well, what age did you hit your height? You know, and she was like, oh, sixth grade. And at the oh, time, wow. I, yeah, yeah. You know, she was like, I was tall by then. And how was that? It was horrible um, until sports came along. And then and I said, oh, wow, well, what sports do you play? It's like volleyball, you know, and, and uh, do you still play? No, I, I had a full ride scholarship at this college. I broke my back. So I can't play. I got dropped from oh, my man. parents' insurance plan, and, and now I'm modeling oh. to pay for my medical bills. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and all of wow. a sudden, you know, striking tall model became a person, and mm-hmm. it, it for me it afforded me the ability to capture a portrait because that's you know fashion's interesting and clothes are fascinating. They're on all of that and posing is intriguing and all those things but for me it's that real connection and mm-hmm. and it wasn't something like I didn't say well what's your what's the worst thing that's happened to you in your life I broke my back it was just a very natural way to get there and if people don't want to get there I always try to give them space and that's fine too but anyway I love <laughs> yeah. um I love the idea of bringing questions into portraiture I think it's brilliant I think it's brilliant yeah yeah yeah, more often than not, uh, it, lately I haven't done as many portraits. I do more people that I know, and they're like, "I need a headshot for such and such." So it's it's really uh, more getting them to calm down and not strike every pose that looks a little cheesy, you know, <laughs> and just get them to be themselves. Uh, that can be hard. Or the worst funny story. So my son, who's 22, came to me and he's like, "I want you to take my picture, mom." And I said, "Okay, that's awesome. We'll get in the studio, say Tuesday. Let's let's have you come in on Tuesday." He came in, I took a picture and I was excited because normally he's like in black leather and he's sort of like edgy and he looked kind of nice and soft. Find out later it's for Tinder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? <laughs> anyway, no. And so I, I know and I do, I do corporate headshots occasionally too. You know, I've done corporate headshots for like a bank, you know, so I, I do do that sort of thing, but it's usually kind of a quick, quick, you know almost like school portraits type situation where you don't really have a lot of time with each person and they just 
So, but no, I definitely appreciate and love the kind of portraiture that you're talking about where you give the model time to connect. Yeah. And I want to talk about a little bit about something you said you're introverted as well. And yes, <laughs> that helps with connection. Um, and where I want to go with that is oftentimes people think in photography, they need to have a certain personality for the type of work they want to do. So maybe if they want to do, I don't know, adventure work, they need to be an adrenaline, adrenaline seeker. Or if they want to do people photography, they have to be very charismatic and outgoing. And the reality is I found the best portrait photographers or my favorite ones are often very introverted mm -hmm. uh, because I think when you're an introvert, it makes you, you have high levels of empathy, of observation, of compassion, you know, all these different qualities, which make you realize how awkward and difficult and tough the portrait situation is then that creates space and allows magic to happen. Would you agree with that? Or how has your own being an introvert affected what you create? Maybe. Oh, you are, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. You know, if I would want to do a portrait with somebody, I would want to sit with them for a bit and, you know, find out who they are. I'm good one-on-one, -on -one. put me in a crowd and it's a little bit, you know, like I can take, I have a limit <laughs> of how much I can take. And I can't, can, I think the reason I don't like crowds and why introvert Nature, my introvert nature works for me is I want to connect to one person. I don't have this desire to take it all in. I want just, I'm happy with one person. If I have to go to an event or a party, if I can go off to the side and get to know one person, I feel like I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. I like to go deep, not wide. So when it comes to portraiture, it's the same thing. You know, I don't want to be editing the face of somebody that I don't know who they are. I don't like people as objects. That's why I think I, I'm not really attracted to editorial magazine type work because I need to connect to the person more than just the pretty picture. And so yeah. like if I were to shoot for a catalog or something, I would feel really empty just because I would feel like it's not filling that part of me that picked up a camera to begin with. Yeah. And let me jump in there real quick. There are two things you said. I want to go deep rather than wide. And then after shooting let's say catalog work, I would feel empty. And the reason why I want to go there is part of this is about how can we make the most with this time that we have right now, which is <laughs> yeah. we're all limited, right? And one of the things I think we can do, I've had other people say this as well, is we can really reflect on what kind of photography we want to do. Who are we? Mm -hmm. And how does that shape what we want to do? And so the question is, how did you discover that you like deep versus wide? Or how did you realize that you, you know, like this shooting isn't fulfilling? And what advice do you have people to try to find the thing that does match who they are? Because you oh, seem to have a good ability getting people there. I think one of the things that I like to convey as a photographic instructor is for people to dig deep into what they can do that really fulfills them. And when my children were smaller, so let's go back like eight, 10 years. My kids were a lot littler. And I had this thing in my head that in order to authentically capture my life, I had to have all four children in the frame. And I was a really stressed out person. I, I At that time, I didn't feel like I was doing the right job as a photographer and I was following the wrong teachers. And a good friend of mine, her name's Emma Wood. She's a wonderful photographer in the UK. I'm supposed to be here there with her right now. <laughs> that trip got thwarted. Um, but anyway, she has seven children. And one day she set me aside and said, you know what? You can photograph them one by one. You don't have to photograph all of your children at one time. And I, it just her verbally giving me the permission 
to engage with one person just revel just blew me away. And from that moment on, I realized I can photograph one flower, one person. I can get connected to one thing. And I don't have to be that documentarian that that captures layers of activity. I don't I don't work well with that, you know, and trying to be that person was just killing me. So that is kind of where it started and it sort of extrapolated itself out to everything that I shoot from people to macro or, or whatever it is I'm shooting nature. Uh, I still apply that same principle. That's wonderful. And picking up on that, there are two, two reflections I have is I love how you said I was following the wrong teachers. And I think that one of the things that tends to happen in this day and age with social media and everything is we follow a lot of different voices yeah. And sometimes they're conflicting and sometimes they're maybe steering us in the wrong way. So, so it's, I think there's now is a good time to audit that. And one of the things I do is in the new year, I unfollow everyone on Instagram. I know it sounds crazy, but then I refollow people afterwards as a way to kind of say, okay, it, I guess it's sort of like back when we used to get magazine subscriptions, you would cancel yeah. the subscription. Like I've gotten this for three years. Let me just cancel it for a year. I don't, you know, I've looked at this, whatever it is enough. Um, but anyway, so I encourage people to think about who are you following and maybe trim that down a little bit. And then the second thing I love that you said is that you got this little gem or this wisdom from someone else and that all of us are kind of self-made photographers, but yeah. at the same time, we can't do it alone. We need outside voices. And I think now is a great time to ask friends, colleagues, mentors, anyone saying like, hey, do you have any insight into, into what I can do differently here? You know, and that it wasn't like she said something that was rocket science. She said, she just said, you can photograph one at a time. And it was like, oh my gosh, that changed. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of voice work with people, you know, visual voice, what, what is it they want to do? And I spend a lot of time digging in with people and trying to figure out what will make them happy with a camera. And that might involve them taking personality tests. Sometimes I'll find people that are extroverted who are trying to copy what I do and it doesn't work because they need to have permission to be that person who wants to take in all that energy. And, and, and that's always really fun to see people thrive once they've embraced who they are. And I love it. That's wonderful. Okay. Can we try doing that? Can you do that with me? Some voice work? Develop my voice? <laughs> I think that you're, you're pretty well, no. ready. It's, you don't have much. I mean, I can see when I look at you and I see your work, I see you all over it. I don't feel like you have a lot of room to change or grow because you're really, I mean, you, everybody has room to grow. I, I should reiterate that. But I mean, I see you in your work. When I flip through your book or look through your images, I can see that back process. And, and I'm a big believer in kind of the subliminal nature of images. I don't know if this makes any sense, but when I initially have a student that comes in for voice work, I will look at a body of their work, say, you know, three to 10 images or so. And I will just deep dive into those images. And I will look for similarities and uh, patterns. And a lot of times people will say, how did you see that in there? And it's just a pretty analytical process of noticing that they like open composition or closed composition. They like uh, this kind of tonality of color or, um, you know, I just, I just look at those and see. And a lot of times people will give me three or three to 10 images that are completely disjointed. Uh, one will be a kid's softball game and one will be a macro, but I can see similarities and, 
the way that they're approaching it, kind of the subliminal, um, subconscious, I should say, not subliminal, subconscious uh, choices that they make. And when I pull that out, they'll be like, oh, I had no idea. And, and they can better embrace who they are because they're seeing the things that I'm seeing now. Uh, but when I see your work, I see a calm, gentle spirit, connected, quiet, unrushed, I guess that's the same thing, but um, intense, but in a very soft, genuine way. Um, not in an, an edgy intensity, but a very soft, genuine, friendly intensity, you know, like a genuine concern. I can see your concern for the person you're shooting coming through in the images. And, and that would be something I would point out. Had you been new, like if you were in your first couple of years of shooting, you may be doing that already and not aware of it. Um, so that would be something I would pull out. I love it. I love it. Um, and then what would be an area you would say, Chris, this might be a good growing edge for you, or this might be something worth exploring. Um, where, where would I you? Would <laughs> I would love to see how you would interpret with your voice and vision um, a little bit more of your environment. Like, I know you like to surf, right? You know, I yeah. see the surfboard back there, you know, and you do some, but it's usually there's a person in it. I would love to see how you interpret more just the ocean alone without, you know, how you would embrace the things that mean a lot to you. And you do such wonderful work with your daughters. Uh, you know, I'd love to see even more of that, um, you know, because you, I don't know, there's such a light that shines through your, your girls. So you have three that. girls, right? Yeah, I have three girls, and and we're at eight, thirteen, and fifteen. Oh my goodness, is the fifteen-year-old hard? My fifteen-year-old is driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love him to death, but it's like uh, with the boys, it was different. I had three older boys, and when they hit puberty, in between, you know, twelve and eighteen, it was hard, but it was predictable. Like they all kind of followed a pattern. My daughter is just like one day she's the sweetest, coziest, cuddliest thing. The next day she's got all fangs. And I'm like, I don't understand. Um, I'm sure I was the same way, but <laughs> 15 is hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm enjoying it. You know, she's amazing. You know, lots of spirit and spunk and personality and character. And, you know, like in any age, I feel like I learn so much from my kids and yeah. You know, like one thing I've, I've shared this story before, but I don't take a lot of pictures of my kids as they've gotten older. You know, I find you take when they're younger, you can take a lot of pictures, but then as they get older, it's a little bit more about relating to them just as a dad or as a person versus a photographer. Mm -hmm. It is I'm not going to make them like my models, you know, um, when we're out on a hike, they'll often say, you can take a picture, dad, but you can't post or share it. And I'm like, <laughs> fair. <that's> <laughs> I hear that all the time, except it's the opposite. You can take a picture and post it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <They're> always, <laughs> my sons, especially. My daughter, not so much because she's, uh, you know, her helping me with conferences started when she was really little and she's a very good listener. You know, she's good with 30 people pointing cameras at her. So it is very much a job for her when we do it. So at home, it's hard to get her to just be spontaneous. You know, if she's baking cookies and I start to shoot. She's like striking a pose. And I'm like, wait, just, just do your thing. This is, this is just for me. I have to say, this is just for us. This is just for us, not for Instagram or, or anything. And then occasionally she'll go through the resulting images and be like, you can post that one if you want. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get that <laughs> approval. When you get the approval, you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> I, had this collaborative. <laughs> I had this experience where my daughter got her braces off. This is a little while ago now, but 
And she said, dad, will you take a post a photo for Instagram? I was like, of course, you know, are you kidding me? She's asking <laughs> me to take her picture, right? So we go out into the backyard and I'm, I'm taking photos and she's like, dad, you can't take pictures like that. Uh, and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> What do you mean? You know, and she's like, you can't make it look like this is a photo shoot, like we're trying. And it actually was this great <laughs> lesson for me because what I realized is, you know, I have all these kind of methods or my bag of tricks or all the techniques that I like to use. And, and really it's a way to craft, but you might also say on the, that's a positive side as a craft on the negative side, maybe it's also control, right? It's, it's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I want to influence the situation and, and versus letting it happen. And I think what she was saying in, in her own teenage way was, you know, dad, let's just let this happen and be more organic and spontaneous. And it was this great moment for me where I said, you know what, I, I need to allow more spontaneity into what I'm doing. And I think it's... <laughs> You know what I mean? So I learned this great yeah. photo lesson from my daughter. And it, and I, and it's more, I think, in photography, I think of it maybe a little bit like music. Sometimes, let's say in music, I'm going to maybe, I'm just going to piano, I play the piano, but like you go kind of minor and deep and dark and you're playing all those things. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe I need to do something a little more in a major chord and, or major key and <laughs> play something more positive and upbeat and bright. And, and so just kind of leaning different ways. So anyway, it's fun to learn from your kids. With. Oh, they're so they're so brutally honest. You know, you totally. can't have any kind of facade with them. They will see right through it and <laughs> let you know. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like you know, because we both teach at conferences and stuff, and I, my kids have often said, like, Dad, why would someone want to listen to you at a conference? <laughs> It, you know, it's so funny because I do all of these uh, talks and tutorials and things, and uh, I constantly get the the, the feedback that uh, your voice can be really soothing, which is good. My husband doesn't understand that because he gets the more shrill side of me, I suppose. <laughs> We're renovating a bathroom right now, so there's, there's lots of conversation happening. But anyway... Uh, one of the things I was afraid of was that I would have hours and hours of content and I'll just like, people will play it just to go to sleep at night. You know, like my husband will say, read a book to me and I'll, you'll put me to sleep in a second. I'm thinking, Oh no, this is going to be terrible. Uh, but yeah, anyway, people have said that I do that. And then so it's one of those eye opening moments and you're like, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And, 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 and you just have to say, it just is, you know, one of the things I've realized is, you know, with all the social media and teaching and speaking, all different things that we do yeah. is you, you have to develop a certain degree of self-awareness, self-understanding, self-reflection and all this stuff that can easily, though, turn into self-absorption, you know, like you care yes. too much about things. And, yeah. and I was hanging out with another Sony artisan, Chris Burkhard, and we were talking about Instagram and I was talking about, I was kind of wrestling with it and... What, and he has, I don't know what, 3 million something followers, you know, something, <laughs> a huge number. Different, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I realized was I was taking it more seriously with my followers, which is very small comparatively, than he was with his followers. And it was just sort of this way of, re of just reminding me, Chris, lighten up, you know, like, mm -hmm. this is okay, you know, or, or even like you're saying with your voice, I may, it may be very soothing. It's like, you know what, it is. And I'm going to go yeah. with that, you know, and that's what we have to do as artists, right? We have to yeah. literally 
trust our own voice, be who we are. And the more we're that, the better off we will be and the world will be, right? Exactly. And, and knowing how you relate to your audience in your best way is good. I mean, being something you're not would never be advantageous. You know, we, we can't be that way. And I, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how I would be with 3 million people. I, I would, I would overanalyze it to death, I'm sure. And I pretty much know most of the people that follow me. I mean, they have, I have a very high end of back end conversations that happen with people. So, uh, that's the way I like it. I don't know. Social media, I struggle so much with it because as an introvert, it's not really, I don't know. <laughs> I, it was, I don't think in a in, in different time and place, they put us back in the 1990s. I don't think uh, I think I would have been better there. <laughs> you know, uh, this whole social media thing is, is completely, it's a struggle. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think leaning into that and realizing that and being aware of that is fine. I, you know, that's part of it, right? I think the, yeah. and I think back to all the students I've taught too, is that, um, and let me just try to think of some analogy. I, I can't think of anything about rock climbing right now because my, <laughs> It's just on my mind for some reason, long story short. But I think it's like someone, let's say, who's trying to rock climb and they're, they're just like, oh, this isn't hard. I'm just going to do it. And then they do it and they keep falling. And you have to say, no, okay, you know what? This is a really hard climb. Let's slow down. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's process it. You know, here's because I think that's the trouble with social media, right? It's not kind of popular to say I have a tough time with it. But yeah, right. And then say, why? What are the five reasons why you have a tough time with it? And that's kind of what I did with, after I was talking with Chris. And then what he got me to do is to flip the conversation a little bit. He said, well, what do you, what do you really enjoy about it? Like what? And, that, and it, really, I was like, nothing, you know, but then I, I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, you know, it's the friendships. I yeah. can count very distinct friendships that I have, like you said, even with followers, you know, like one person in Italy who is, we messaged because of Instagram and they've been talking about their situation and we're, you know, and, or, or other deeper friendships I have that I do things with. And I thought, you know what, this is like an engine for connecting with people and developing and creating relationships and friendships. And for that, I'm in. You know, for all the yeah. other stuff, I don't really care. Like, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me, likes, dislikes, right. or all that kind of stuff. So, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 there was a time when there was a push for different projects I was doing where I had to use social media. And I remember being at an event trying to figure out Instagram stories. They're like, you need to story this. I'm like, what? I don't even know how to do that. And so I'm trying to Google how to do a story on Instagram. And I felt like an old fuddy-duddy. But at the same time, you know, I'll get little tidbits where someone says, hey, you know, Instagram has a voice message function. So if you like someone's work, go give them a voice message and say how much you like their image and why. And introduce yourself and say, you know, a little bit about yourself and, and, and build them up a bit. And I thought, you know, that's smart. You know, you can use it as a way to connect. So it is kind of not less focus on algorithms and building, you know, audience in numbers and all of that, uh, and and more relationship building. And that kind of turned it on its head. And when I start to get down that deep hole of, oh, I just don't like doing this, my husband will be like, well, what about this friend that you've had for the last five years that you met on Instagram? 
And he has a great way of kind of putting me back in my place. And I'll realize, yeah, you know, there's a lot of good. And so let's focus on the good and not focus on, I, I can't beat the algorithm. I'm not nerdy enough to care. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I think also the other side is to not get overly influenced by the algorithm. Meaning I have a few friends who are, you know, kind of famous on Instagram and they're like, watch, I'm going to post this image and it's just going to go off the charts. And they know like the formula that will do that. And they're like, watch this image is one of my favorites. No one's going to like it. No one does, you know, but, but as artists, we have to say, yeah, we, we do have to be aware of people's response to things, but some of the stuff you just have to do just because with, with no purpose in mind, you know what I mean? No, like I'm not winning people over or something. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was a recent conversation I had with a good friend of mine who's a professional photographer and she said, Oh, I want to share this picture, but it's going to wreck my gallery. It's going to mess up the flow of what I have. I do this and then this and then this, and this is what works for my audience. And one day a good friend of mine did a watercolor painting of me. And she did this little thing and gave it to me. So I took a photo, a picture of it. And I put it up on my Instagram and she said, why did you do that? You wrecked your gallery. It, it wrecked the flow. And I'm like, no, I want to have organic, authentic, like I want it to be me. And I really appreciate what you did for me. And uh, in light of that, I had read several articles recently that said that the, the, the curated gallery is sort of moving more toward an organic, real interaction like the move is kind of going away from the super curated formulaic way of looking at it. And that people are seeing through that. Now there's been, there've been enough years of that and people are wanting to just see your life. And uh, there's always this pendulum swing. So I think, you know, keeping your the pulse of that is helpful. Uh, but also if your values don't line up with the current way to achieve it, then, you know, back it or just, you know, not getting caught up in that is good too. But I'm kind of excited that more authentic connection is becoming more popular. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, figuring out uh, tools or methods or strategies to make it work for you. And I think kind of what I'm hearing you say too is we have to bring ourselves to these different platforms. Same thing like in photography, it's like not the camera yeah. and the lens. We all know that, right? It's like who is is holding it and what they have inside of them and what they're bringing forth and, and there are ways to do that. Like one of the things I've done recently is I hired a college kid who runs an app called later for me, which basically is all the, the posting on my social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I have to create all the comments and I create all the content. And then, so essentially her job is to metaphorically kind of like water the plants, like schedule the, you know, like, the posts just come out because what happens for me is I get really indecisive. I have a photo. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, yeah. wait, should I post it? Should I not? Wait, I need to call Carolyn. I'm just not <laughs> going to post it. I don't even care, you know? <laughs> right. And so building that, like, I, I don't know, sprinkler system. I don't know if that analogy works, but it, it yeah. for me has been really nice. And then it's helped me to experiment a little bit too, where I can, have images scheduled out and I'm posting them and sharing them and I can I can see the responses a little more objectively so when something goes live it's not like oh my gosh no one love that image I'm you know it's like wow no one like that that's interesting um 
why is that? You know, so it creating a little distance. Cause I think I, I attach myself too closely to my work. Do you know oh, what I yeah. mean? Oh, I do it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's, that's a really good point. I I should use something like that to schedule. I'm very haphazard with my, my social media. I think I need to do better with that. But that so this person works for later or developed later? Oh no, yeah. Sorry. Maybe I said that wrong. No. So she, I I you can just sign up for the app later. Mm-hmm. And then she manages that side of the the process. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So and and she's stoked to have a job that pays well and she can do whatever she wants and I'm I'm really happy because it takes it takes a little bit of the pressure off of me because I used to feel this pressure, you know, like I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't posted for so many days." I got, you know, people say you have to feed the gram and then I think, "Well, yeah, I do, but this one isn't right and that last one and I would over <laughs> I would just overthink yeah. everything, you know. And yeah. and just so, so anyway, I, I guess I'm saying that not that this is right for everyone, but what I've found in photography is learning the right mix is so, so important. Like some people, the right mix is carrying three cameras and six lenses, but then I see other people bogged down by that mix. And I just say, you know what? I see you as kind of a one camera, one lens person. Go with that camera. Go with the 50. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Create like that. Or like your, your, your friend had said, you can photograph one person, you have to photograph all four kids, you know. And so finding the right fit really is one of the secrets to getting good at all of this stuff. Because there's a million ways to do it. And if we try to do a million things and be a million people, a million, you know, it doesn't work. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, my my husband just commented to me the other day, he said, you are really happy right now. I haven't seen you this happy in, in so long. And creating content that is important to me, usually I was at the service of somebody else. We need content about this or we need content for that. And so I was always trying to please other people with my work. And this is the first time in many years that I have just sat down and thought, what do I want to do? And it's been really, really interesting to see. It's not less work. In fact, it's considerably more, but I'm touching on topics and doing things that really make me excited. I'm not trying to fit somebody else's brand, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, what, one of the things that that makes me think of, and this is so fun to talk to, I love this back and forth. I could do this all day and I can't I know, wait to see your new <laughs> courses and stuff. But um, when I was a teacher in like a brick and mortar photography school, I used to start off one of my classes with an exercise where I said, draw a house and they would uh, draw a house. And, and then I'd say, share it with the person sitting next to you. And it always was a square with a triangle on top, you know, house. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I, and they were all kind of sheepish and all their houses looked horrible. And then I said, okay, now flip your paper over. I want you to draw a house. And this time I want you to include elements um, like geographically, is it in the mountains? Is it near the beach? Is there a pool? Is there a hot tub? Is there a helicopter? What are the cars in it? You know, how many floors? Are there people there? Is there a part? You know, just basically yeah. make the house you want to live in. And they would all of a sudden, the first drawing was like barely drawing tentatively. The second one, they're just like into it, working so hard, going <laughs> around, doing all this stuff. And I would talk over while they're drawing. And then they would show it to their friends. The whole class is erupting and talking and laughing and all this kind of stuff. And I would do that just to say that the second time you actually worked harder, um, mm-hmm. but it was easier. So it's that strange paradox that happens, I think, in creativity when we're doing something that means something to us, which is what you were just talking about. It is sometimes more work, 
but at the same time, it's less and it's better and everyone wins yeah. the output the, or the yeah. final product's better, you know? So that's a, that's a really important thing, I think, because part of it is finding, it's like you were saying earlier, finding who we are and bringing that into the work. And that's where it ignites all kinds of wonderful things. Oh, yeah. I've known photographers who, because a person can be technically good at something that they don't love. You know, you can, you can get educated and learn how to do something really well, say weddings. You know, I know a lot of people who can, can do a wedding, but it was stressful. It was it, usually it was against their personal uh, energy. Like they're an introvert like me, but they're get ahead. They have to get out there and, you know, manage everybody and manage everything and they're good at it, but then they burn out. And I'm, you know, and I'm often trying to push people into just because you are good at something, is this what you're meant to do? Is this the work you're meant to create? And of course, we all have to pay the bills. So there's, you know, that to, to factor in as well, but to feed who they are. And a lot of times people will be like, I love landscapes. I had somebody who did weddings and then they said, I love landscapes. I had no idea, you know, and they just never gave themselves permission because they went into photography, looking at it as a career. Where can I make money with this little black box? And eventually, you know, switched out of that to more um, quiet endeavors. Uh, and, and even if you can't do it financially, if you have to do one thing that's kind of against your grain to pay the bills, to have an avenue where you're, you're just super passionate and excited because then it makes you not hate that little black box. Yes. And, yes. And maybe tying that to our current times is that yeah. often I think that kind of a recalibration or realizing you're talking about the friend who did weddings, but lo- realized they loved landscape. I feel like a lot of those things in my own life, I've come to awareness of things when stuff gets difficult because Mm -hmm. you kind of skate through life or you're distracted or we're doing all this. And right now we're in a very difficult time and probably going to get worse by everyone's projection. And it's a good time to kind of reflect, I think, on, well, who am I? Why am I? What do I really want to do? Because... We're, we've been given the gift of a pause and a moment mm-hmm. to, to do that. I love how you phrase it, a gift of a pause. I know a lot of people are stressed out right now. Uh, you know, it's funny because, so I assume you work from home, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, my husband doesn't, and he has one of the essential jobs where he has to, to leave. And I was like pouting because I was like, can't you work from home? You know, because I want that family together time. And I was trying to harness that. And I realized I have to let that go because, uh, you know, but it's it's an interesting time because everybody is re-establishing. You know, my husband's probably going to work more hours because of the situation. And um, some people are struggling because they're my sons both work at jobs where the places where they work are closed. So they're home now just wondering <laughs> what to do. My 18-year-old my is wondering, do I file for unemployment? What do I do? Uh, and and so it's it's been an interesting uh, – it's, it's really a study in, in how to manage fear you know, and, and it's, it's, I don't like to be afraid ever. So it's been a great exercise in managing that and not getting into that headspace of fear and just keeping a positive spin on it and keep moving forward in a positive way. Uh, It's been a great reset for the rubber meets the road when it comes to, you know, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go there a little bit. So for the person who is feeling uh, discouraged and fearful and rightly so because of 
limits and work and those kind of things. In particular, you know, here we're really talking to creatives and yeah. a lot of photographers. Yeah. Um, what thoughts or encouragement or ideas do you have for that person? I actually think that there's, this is a huge opportunity. I come from a long line of inventors, you know, people who have patents on different things, nothing really interesting, <laughs> but, you know, farm equipment from the early 1900s and stuff. But what I can say is that when you are forced into a position like this, you can start to look for gaps. What needs to be filled? What would make my life easier in this way? And not necessarily just inventions, but curriculum if you're a teacher or uh, photography gear. Maybe you're somebody who wants to design a modifier or a better camera bag or, you know, you have time to put into the things that you may have backburnered. People's creativity, the things that they have back there start to come forward when you have this gap of time and a slight bit of desperation. Um, And I would love to see the creativity that comes out of this which can potentially be a negative spot. Uh, I would love to see that what people come up with. And I think this will birth a lot of really good ideas, you know, better ways to communicate online, better ways to work at home, better ways to work in a home studio, uh, better ways to sell portraits. Like Paul Giraud, he is another uh, Sony artist, and he started to do a series of, of family portraits of people sitting on their porches. I don't know. Um, how that all came about. I haven't talked to him about it, but it was mentioned to me. And so he's doing these distant portraits of families, you know, from the social distancing, you know, creativity comes out of this situation. And that is so inspiring to me. So while we're not always excited about the things that cause personal growth, you know, challenges that cause personal growth, I, I do embrace it and realize that it does have a benefit if we let it. Yeah, that, I love that. that. That's wonderful to hear. And I think there is also, there's so many precedents to that as well. One person that comes to mind is John Muir. And yeah. he, he, and if you know, hit the story about when he was filing something in the part of it, um, on like a grinding stone, part of the file piece went into his eye and he mm-hmm. went blind and it's called empathetic blindness. He lost sight in both of his eyes for 30 days or something like that. I'm not sure if I'm getting the details exactly right. But when he had lost sight or lost something, he then realized, okay, I know what I'm going to do with my life. And then when he, his vision healed and was restored, he started on his big first walk. And that's kind of started everything for the rest of his life and what he did really made such a huge change in the world. And there's people like him and many others who have taken down times, whether it's the you know, the skier who broke her leg and missed the Olympics, you know, and then that mm-hmm. opened up an opportunity for something else or whatever it is. And I think the the downtimes, like you said, it does give us a little bit of desperation. It does give us a little bit of openness where we're less distracted, obviously. And the yeah. desperation part gives us a sense like we got to fight. Like I've always figured there are these two sides of creativity. I wrote, I wrote a book called The Creative Fight. So there's the fight side. And one day I want to write a book called The Creative Flow. And, and that those, you're never in just one or just the other forever. You're not like, it's, I don't know about for you, but for me, there's seasons where I'm just fighting. Like it's not happening or in a portrait session, I'm working on nothing. Like the images are horrible. Other times you can't help but create great work. And you're almost like, oh my gosh, like, did you guys see that? Right. <laughs> this is great. Everything's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think culturally and globally, we have those 
seasons as well. So anyway, I, I mean, just adding to what you're saying there too, is thinking that, um, you know, that there is opportunity here and this isn't belittling how difficult it is. It's not no. putting on a fake smile. It's, it's about honoring it and saying, okay, yeah, this is tough. And, and I also think it's about honoring the people who are suffering worse. I think those yeah. people, rather than have us sit in a corner and, and cower and cry or something, they would say, stand tall. Be who you're meant to be. The world needs us to stand up right now in every, yeah. every way that we can. And sometimes we can't make a difference directly, but we can become our best selves. We can create work. We can inspire, motivate others, and we can collectively, you know, move ahead. Absolutely. You know, it's really an interesting time because it's affecting so many people, you know, and it really makes a person hyper aware of, hey, things are okay. You know, my, I'm still working, my husband's still working. uh, And so what can I do to help people who are in a different situation? It's really yeah, there's a lot of, of positive good because you feel like there's actionable change that you can take on with clear direction. You know, you know exactly what you can and cannot do to help other people and you can just jump into that. And then other people, you know, just need inspiration. People get down. And uh, I was watching uh, something that Brooke Shaden was doing. She's doing classes in her house and getting people inspired. And and it makes me think back to the different, you know, like World War II, the, the, the Hollywood industry boomed because people needed to get out of the, the depressive state that the world was in. And they needed an hour and a half to, you know, and we can maybe be that for people too. And to not belittle the things that we can offer. Giving somebody a brain escape may not seem like a really, you know, deep and important thing to do, but it is, you know. Um, so it just helps us to tap into the different ways that we can help people and think outside the box. Yeah. And I liked your idea earlier too, which you included about Instagram and sending someone a message just to encourage them what they're doing. You know, even if we're not teaching or doing something like that, we can always send notes to each other, whether it's in a more modern way like that or (laughs) letters or, or any, anything, emails or different things that you, we can do to, to encourage people because here's here's what I know. There's times when I've been really, really down and a friend will do something for me, which is very simple, or I'll get an anonymous email, anonymous meaning like, I don't know the person. They'll just say, right. mm-hmm. hey, I read your book and it really moved me and here's why. And it will literally like pull me through the day. And, yep. or a friend will buy me sandwich or something. And, and I just think you, you have no idea like how much I needed that. I didn't even know how much I needed that. And so <laughs> yeah. I think in our, in our world right now, we never know what's going on and how people are struggling or suffering. And, and with that, it's not that we need to be heroes and save the world, but a little bit of kindness goes. Yeah, absolutely. Way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think either of us would I tried, I'm I'm not a a mean or angry person hardly ever, you know, and I don't think you are either. And I I think sometimes this gives us, I I know I'm like you too. I kind of go, go deep inside and I can get down, you know, and I don't share that with the world. And, and I think that we can recognize that in other people and, you know, say, I wonder how this person's doing because they're a lot like me. I wonder if they're just sitting in their house, you know, bored to tears and, and, Bored people with a lot of time on their hands can can become depressive people. Yeah. Uh, and and I my, I don't. This is a little bit off on topic, but maybe a little off. But my my sister just had a double lung transplant, uh, where both lungs were replaced, and she's forty. 
And, and so she had been housebound for a long time. And with this whole virus thing going on around, she's still housebound. So just making a mental note every day to reach out and see how she's doing because she hasn't left the house in months, <laughs> you know, uh, post-transplant. And, and, you know, how many other people are housebound, maybe elderly people who are housebound, you know, can we go get I don't know if you can get groceries anymore, <laughs> they're, they're, but anyway, you do, how can we help people that might be stewing in their own worries? It's something that's really heavy on my heart right now. Yeah. And how can we use all this technology and all this stuff in a way to reach out to yeah. them? I mean, sometimes it's as simple as you yeah. know, for me with my parents, like FaceTiming and showing them the kids making cupcakes or something or goofing yeah. around, or they did this thing where they, um, you know, they're all kind of stuck together, so to speak. But so they, my oldest decided that they should put pillows in the bathtub and they put pillows and blankets. <laughs> they turned our bathroom into like a, you know, a lounge area almost. And they all piled in there and read books and played games and watched a movie and just FaceTimed that to my parents. And they thought that was hilarious. And, but yeah, just taking that little bit of extra effort to do those things. And then with us, I think too, as a photographic community, to remember that as a small business owners, there are a lot of people out there who their business has just been shut down. The wedding photographer, like weddings are canceled or whatever it right. is. Um, yeah. And to, to realize, yeah, we need to stick together. We need to support each other. Sometimes it's simple. Other times it could be more involved, but to kind of bring that awareness into the situation. And yeah. um, because I think part of being an artist, I, I think you would agree with this, is that we are called to be aware of things that the rest of the world may ignore. And part of that means <laughs> deeper agree. emotions, right? Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. I think being a photographer definitely primes you to be aware of all those subtle cues that people give. We're almost psychologists in a, in a little bit of a way. My mother was a psychologist, so I grew up being a human experiment, you know, <laughs> and, and so, you know, but it, so I've always been fascinated with human behavior and, and all of that. But anyway, uh, definitely something that we can harness and, and tap into. All right. Well, a um, couple more questions for you. We're getting closer okay. to the end here, but <laughs> okay. one of the things is how can we keep our creative spirit alive right now? And you're so good at practicing that without being in a major city or traveling to far <laughs> off distant corners of the world. And you seem to, to bring creativity to where you are in a really unique way, whether that's your macro work or the photographs that we've already talked about. But mm -hmm. I'm looking to hear a few ideas about how I and how we can keep that creative spirit alive within the confines that we are all currently <laughs> in. Oh, well. Give us some wisdom. Okay, well. <laughs> Give us sure. an assignment too, maybe. <laughs> okay, well, for sure. One of the things that I encouraged my, my students to do, I had a class called the Art of Observation, uh, which I ran for years, and I'm still kind of running it. I'm reworking it into a new incarnation of it. But uh, one of the things is to learn to not reject or diminish the, the, the normal, the everyday, you know, to, to take a walk and, and make a concerted effort to see with new eyes, because we, we, be, we have this ability to become blind to what is around us. And it's always fascinating when somebody from out of town will come in and they'll be like, Oh, your prairie is so beautiful. I'm like, Oh, there's no trees. It's blah. And someone comes in and they, they, uh, they give me a, a new shot of inspiration because I see it through their eyes and I see something different. So sometimes we can consciously get into that, you know, and now being kind of housebound, we're not bound from 
hiking trails sometimes. There are places outdoors that aren't closing, at least in my local area. So getting out and, and being observant, slowing down, taking time is key. And it, it takes mental effort. You can't just be what you've always been. You have to slow down and really see <laughs> and really pay attention um, to to try to re, you know breathe new life in. Uh, also exploring other hobbies that you can integrate into photography. For instance, I love macro photography. So now I am, I am diving into seed catalogs. I'm planting seeds. I'm, I'm photographing the process. So if you like to, you know, make, do woodworking, or if you play music, you know, figure out how you can integrate that into a picture. Don't think on the same genres that you've always done. How can you integrate stuff that you're super passionate about and integrate the camera into that? Uh, also, just doing a light study. I know this sounds really maybe silly or or too easy, but for a year when I was going through a really sad time, I had some serious issues with one of my children that uh, led me to a kind of a deep depression. I just photographed the light. I'd get up early and look at it coming through the, the windows. I would look at it at night. I would look at the street lights and I would photograph just the light. I didn't make myself find a subject. I didn't make myself find anything particularly beautiful. I just chased the light. And in doing so, I was almost metaphoric in the way that I was looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. And it, it was a, a process that made me see, you know, there's beauty everywhere. And we don't need to be in some far-flung part of the world to find it. Um, the irony is you can make as beautiful images in your own boring house as you can at the, on the other side of the world if you try to see it through the eyes of somebody who might be seeing it for the first time. I love it. I love it. The last part, if you try to see it through the eyes of someone who's seen it for the first time. That's helpful. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of a time I was in Switzerland and I was hiking. I was in college. Mm -hmm. I was a college student studying abroad and I was in the Swiss Alps in the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in my life. Came upon someone on the trail and she was a local to the little nearby village and we struck up a conversation, you know, uh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from, I'm going to school in Santa Barbara and talked about, you know, that a little bit. And I said, where are you from here? And I said, oh, this is so beautiful. And she said, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have an ocean. <laughs> see, see, see. Yeah, that is so true. I, I love trees. I love forests. I would give, you know, I would love to live in a place that had trees and forests in the ocean, but I don't. I have an ocean of grass. You know, I have the prairie and I have to reframe my, the way I see it every year. Because it doesn't have the things that I would naturally choose. If, if, if somebody said, where do you want to live anywhere in the world? It probably wouldn't be here. But I, a lot of people say, well, you make the prairie so beautiful. It's because I really struggle and, and fight the fight to see the beauty that it does have and, and reframe it that way. And I think herein lies one of the most important parts of photography, which is it's never about what's in front of your lens. It's always about what you're bringing to the situation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think popular photography tends to propagate the alternative idea that says you need to have a beautiful model or you need to go to that one 
desert location, the racetrack, or you need to get go to where the, all the hot air balloons are launching. You need to, whatever exciting or interesting thing is, which all those things, they're not bad, but you can't rely on them. And I think now is a really interesting time to get back to that. Like, like you're, you're encouraging us to do is to say, it really is about working hard at it and yeah. bringing something to that. And I love how even, you know, in, in talking, you said you have your ocean of, of prairie or I forget how you just had said that. But, um, <laughs> ocean of grass, yeah. <laughs> ocean of grass, yeah, yeah. I like that metaphor. And I like how you encouraged me too to even earlier, you know, without knowing it, you give kind of gave me that same assignment of saying, I would love to see you integrate more of the things that you love, like the ocean. And it's, and it's funny that it's here but I don't photograph it a lot and right. here it is so beautiful and amazing. So it's not, it's not like I even have a good excuse, you know, whether it's beautiful and amazing or uninteresting and dull, our task as photographers is to see deeply and to express and to look and discover and be curious and all those things. So mm -hmm. those are some wonderful, wonderful words. <laughs> and uh, Awesome. Yeah, and it's so fun to get a chance to talk and to yeah. hear some of your thoughts and ideas. It's it is very calming and comforting. <laughs> well, it's been awesome to talk to you. I was really looking forward to it because, yeah, yeah, your your actually your book, The Creative Fight, is one of my favorite books. So oh, I, I, I can relate to. I just knew we'd have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. That book was such a labor of love. It's so funny. Um, that's a whole nother story. But um, it, it, well, I'll tell you just a little bit of it maybe is that as I was writing, I was one chapter in and my editor who had been a dear friend or is still a dear friend, we had done, I think, maybe four books up to that point together. She said, I'm leaving my job. And oh, basically, wow. I didn't have an editor for the rest of it. I had someone take over, but it, it wasn't. And they, they weren't, you know, I was doing it. And at the same time, I had been in a certain space and I lost that space. And <clears throat> my teaching, the place where I was teaching, I had left to all these things that were difficult were happening. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. which obviously the universe does that. So that yeah. I was in <laughs> the crucible of the fight, writing about yeah. the fight versus from the mountaintop looking back, like, oh, back then it was tough. You know, it was like, no, yeah, this no, is it, tough. It now. comes through. It comes through. I think the genuineness of the struggle comes through. And I think that's something to embrace. Some, we can, I, you know, it's, it's relatable. You know, we all struggle. And anybody who says, oh, this is just easy. This is great. I mean, it, it might be on the surface, but I think we all go home at night and go, oh, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard no matter what you're doing. You yeah. Know, and the thing, the thing with the hard too, sorry to cut you off there, but was no, just that I, I always encourage people to lean into the hard. Like wh why is it hard? What is hard about this? And um, like you were talking about the person who's photographing weddings and it's not feeding their soul and it's exhausting them. Say like, well, because most people say, oh, it's a wedding. Oh, you don't like working with the brides, bridezilla. It's like, well, no, I love brides, but I don't like what? Tell me the three things you don't like. And exactly. I kind of learned that from shooting for a brand called Patagonia. And I don't know if they still do this, but back when I had just started there, that they're doing stuff with them. They gave a list of 10 things you can't have in a photograph. So you can't have plastic, you can have power lines, fences, cars, you know, all the, all these things. And so they had this list of no, and that, brought you to a yes. And so when you look at their work, if you go online and search, you're like, wow, it all looks the same, even though it's shot by people all over the world, all different places. Uh -huh. 
but they the no gets to the yes, and so that's where I think even with the difficulty, it's like, well, what what is it? What are the no's here? What are the things that are oh, like? Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. That is actually part of the voice course that I teach is learning what to say no to, hmm. and yeah, yeah. Um, it's assumed a, a lot of things are assumed that, that people operate on the assumptions. I should be shooting this this way or whatever. If you can say with confidence, I do not want to photograph that. Like I don't like to photograph plastic <laughs> at all. You know, there, there's just something as simple as I don't like to photograph anything that is, you know, uh, if you, if I can define what I don't like, it's so much easier to embrace what I do like and, and everything sort of falls into line after that. So I get, I get what they're doing with that. Um, making sure that people understand their hard nose. Um, yeah. And yeah, one of the good. ways, like, I mean, just to keep going with this for a little bit is, uh, one of the ways I've kind of developed that practice in my own life is I create a yes, no list. So I could mm -hmm, a piece of paper, mm -hmm. put a line right down the middle and I'll have my students do this as well because mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to say, well, what do I say yes to? Because you ask people, what music do you like? I kind of like everything. They don't like right. everything. You know? They don't. <laughs> what kind no. of food? Well, I can eat anything. It's like, well, can you eat anchovies right now? No, no, it's horrible. You know, so, <laughs> so the yes, no gives a way to like kind of compare. So, you know, it could be, you know, one of mine is no to plastic and yes to unfinished wood. Hence my cabin that I built in my backyard here. It's all unfinished wood. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But then photographically, and a whole list of things like that, um, no to electric guitar, yes to acoustic, no to an RV, yes to backpacking. And, and it's not that those things, they're all metaphors, they're all analogies. Right, right, you know, right. Uh, those things are all fine and wonderful. But um, what then, then does is it builds association and it says, like for me with wood, with all these the wood around here, I think a lot of photography, and it's great, a lot of, great photography and a lot of construction, my dad's builds homes, is wood painted over and you don't see the grain, you don't see where the branches were, you don't see the knots, you don't see the history, you don't see the the rings of growth in it. And right now I can see all that all that here and smell it. And so for me photographically I'm like, no, I wanna I wanna I want I wanna make sure I'm not putting veneer on. I want it to be raw. I want it to be blemished because wood, like if we I don't know if you can see the back of mine, but all the yeah. little knots, those are all little branches and it's inherently saying blemishes are okay. And so it's kind of like, that's how I retouch yeah. photographs. Like I'm not gonna, like every freckle isn't a problem. I love freckles, you know, and I love. <laughs> yeah. So does my husband. <laughs> He's funny. Though. Yeah, because you know, when you're retouching someone and my husband's like, why would you remove a freckle? Why would you remove freckles? He doesn't understand at all. He, he's adamantly, you know, the same way. And it's incidentally, my husband's a woodworker as well. Uh, the cabinets in this kitchen that are in front of me uh, actually, they had a walnut tree that they cut down because it was mm. dead. And he made the cabinets in the kitchen from that walnut oh tree. And so it's natural finish uh, with the grain and the knots and everything. So I completely understand <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. You're getting the, uh, the, the connection. Yeah, and if I'm you don't like really woodwork, forget all that. But I, maybe <laughs> the, the, the point is, is uh, just think about your yes, no list and then let yeah. that um, affect and guide and direct the type of, other creative stuff you want to do. Um, and Absolutely. otherwise we're just kind of shooting blind and we're hoping for the best and that usually doesn't yeah. work. Or if it does, it takes us so much time. It takes a decade way to speed up your growth. I've always found is to add some clarity to it. Absolutely. Yes. Don't waste years doing something you don't love. And love it. Yeah. let's yeah. end there. Don't waste years doing something 
you don't to love. Is that how you said it? Yep. All right. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much. Let's do this again. This is so fun. I really appreciate you, your work, your creativity, your encouragement, and it is so inspiring to me. I have a macro lens because of you. You inspired me to do that, so I need to <laughs> get it get out. I get you shooting more with it. Yeah, no, just I kidding. do. Whatever. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> All and, right. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, and have a great rest of your day, and we'll look forward to seeing some of the training you're creating, and I'll um, also obviously share that you can follow along Carolyn Jensen, and her name is spelled just like it sounds, and thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Alpha Universe podcast. You can see more about Chris Orwig and Caroline Jensen and find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the podcast was produced by Chris Orwig. The Alpha Universe podcast is sponsored by Sony and produced by Christopher Robinson. Executive producer is Alex Stevens. Our engineer is Andy Brohard. Special thanks to the Sony Digital Imaging team who are always around to patiently answer our questions when it comes to the nuances of camera and lens technology.